Welcome, and thank you for joining the Society for Clinical Research Sites for SCRS Talks. I'm Jimmy Bechtel, the Vice President of Site Engagement. SCRS Talks allows our partners and those that we work closely with to take a few minutes to address issues of industry concern, share exciting achievements and updates, and learn more about our community. Today, we have David Volcano, the Honorary President of the Society for Clinical Research Sites, as well as the Vice President of Research and Compliance with HCA Healthcare, and Chris Hoyle, the Executive Director of Elite Research Network, here today to discuss how the SCRS Invoiceables Toolkit came into existence. Thank you both for being here. David, we'll start with you. If we could get an introduction from yourself, that would be great. Hey, Jimmy, thanks for having me here. Uh, I appreciate it. So, you know, I've had a long-standing tenure in the trial industry working exclusively on the site side of things. And, uh, you know, I have the, the privilege of representing SCRS as the honorary president uh, for this, which gets me involved in a lot of initiatives uh, for site sustainability. Thanks, David. And Chris. Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, Chris Hoyle, founder and CEO at Elite Research Network, started the company way back in 2004. Throughout the years, I've been involved in SCRS, both as the chairman of the summit and on the uh, steering committee. Um, also excited to be a part of this initiative um, in which we talk to a lot of sites um, throughout the years about their struggles with budgets, and we'll, we'll take a deeper dive into that on the call today. So thanks for having me. Wonderful. Thank you both again for being here with us today. David, we'll start with you. What was the catalyst or the impetus really for developing the Site Invoiceables Toolkit? I mean, over many years, and especially in the past two years, there, there's been so many discussions at industry meetings and in online communities about the increasing of, of kind of two categories of costs. One is, is the costs not recognized at the time of the budgeting. And, and a lot of times these are touted as hidden costs or you know, surprise costs or, or things like that of, of running a site. And the second are costs that are recognized by the site, but are denied reimbursement in budgets for whatever reason. So both, both the rising amount of hidden costs and unreimbursed costs of the sites have been escalating and, and having more and more conversations of it. So the, the, the craving for some sort of toolkit, you know, was, was very timely in nature on this. So, you know, Chris and I had a conversation and uh, says, yeah, we, we need to get this done uh, for the benefit of the sites and, and the industry. That's right, David. Uh, it, it really has been a long-standing issue with our community. Um, this concept of, as you mentioned, hidden costs and, and identifying those, I think, will make a tremendous amount of value for the site community. So uh, I commend you and, and the group for bringing this to the attention and, and really working on it um, over the last several months. But Chris, speaking of benefiting and value, who do you think can benefit most from some of these resources? Yeah, I think that the sites can use the toolkit uh, to their benefit to help them negotiate their budgets and justify their costs. So obviously, anybody working at the site level um, on contracts and budgets will be able to leverage this tool very well. Sometimes those um, titles are combined. So a lot of times I find a site director or CEO at a site is also doing the budgets. But essentially, anybody working on negotiating budgets uh, with sponsors or CROs can use the toolkit to help navigate their way to hopefully a quicker, better budget to cover their costs. 
That's right, Chris. Thank you. Uh, there's a lot of benefit that sites particularly can gain from this document. And, and as you mentioned, getting towards bigger, more effective and efficient budgets is really what this document is all about. So thank you for, for sharing those comments as well. David, many sites struggle with negotiations and accurate accounting for all those study related activities, as you had mentioned in response to your first answer there. So how will these documents specifically help address some of those issues? Yeah, so at first, I just want to make sure that we understand the scope of this of this particular guidance. You know, there there is it's not addressing the per subject per visit budget and it's not addressing overhead. Those those are very separate items. But but the easy wins is is on invoiceables. So that that's going to be a third budget category that that this document was created to uh, or that this toolkit was created to to address. Uh, you know, we may get into the other other ones later, but invoiceables is is the key for this. And there's essentially two published documents that we have. The the first is a guidance document, which is structured as follows. You know, first it it reminds those doing budgets uh, of the line items that are applicable to nearly all studies. Um, not every line items applicable to every study. Uh, but these are the ones that the sites felt were the most common ones that uh, many sites are, are reimbursed for as invoiceables. Uh, it also has common light items for event-driven uh, uh, invoiceables, meaning that they're not billed unless certain events take place, like a protocol amendment or things along those lines. So some are standard and some are event-driven. The second, it provides how the cost ties to the study, so that's defendable in reimbursement. It's not seen as a kickback, but it gives some descriptions as to how this ties to the study so that sponsors and CROs can say, oh, wow, this isn't a site just being greedy. This is actually a necessary cost to conduct the study. The third part of the narrative document, in many cases, uh, it gives alternatives to billing the cost as a line item. So, you know, more money may not be always the solution. There may be some other alternatives as to how the sites, sponsors and CROs, and, and maybe even the solution providers can work together so that it's not something that is reimbursed as a separate line item. This could be either bundling it with other line items, like bundling several things in a startup cost into a single startup cost, or it may be having the sponsor or CRO events or provide the service themselves or purchase it some, from somewhere else other than the site. So those are kind of the, the structures, the, the descriptions, the narrative, how it relates to a study, and some of the alternatives as to building this as a separate line item. Now, in calculating the cost, this document doesn't give you what to charge, of course. You have to calculate that on your own. And I'll let Chris... Uh, describe a little bit about the spreadsheet tool and, and some other uh, tools that are available to calculate those costs. Chris? Yeah, thanks, David. So in the spreadsheet, what we're attempting to do, as you mentioned, is we're not providing you with the actual cost of the line item. What we're trying to do is guide you and help justify those costs and how you came to calculate such costs. So there's a number of ways to do that depending on the line item itself. A lot of times it will be, say, an hourly rate um, times the number of hours. And then there are variable ways or alternatives to capture that cost. I'll give you a quick example if that's okay. So let's take, you know, charging uh, for remote monitoring. Um, that can be done on an hourly basis. So obviously we would want to calculate 
the cost of those involved at an hourly rate, and then the number of hours that goes into that. Sometimes the sponsor will just simply capture it as a, a flat rate. Um, so you could either do it hourly or just a flat fee. Um, the other thing that I would uh, look at is where are you capturing the cost? So certain line items can be put in what I call different buckets. So, you know, if you do an IRB, excuse me, IRB um, submissions, is that captured under your startup fee or do you have a separate line item for that? Um, some of these costs may be unit costs per year, per day, per month, whatever it may be. If you're looking at things such as archiving, um, some sponsors will pay you a flat fee, but we all know that there are yearly costs to archiving. So looking at justifying your cost and calculating your cost is what the spreadsheet is intended to do. And hopefully uh, that'll help you in your negotiations. Thanks, David. Thank you, Chris. There's a lot to tease out there around how Again, again, how valuable this document can be for sites and what different aspects, right? It's it's more than one. I think that's the important thing here. There's a lot of different things that a site can use this toolkit for. They can use it to enhance what they're currently doing. They can use it to start from scratch. There's justifications, there's background, there's information, there's the spreadsheet, right? The, the additional document David had mentioned to help them with that. So I think there's a lot of different ways this document can be helpful. So I appreciate you both explaining and digging into a little bit where that value can come for a site. Chris, how do you recommend then the sites utilize this? What steps, I guess, should they take uh, to make sure that this document works for them and is most effective for them? Yeah, I think there's four or five steps that the site should take. Um, you know, when reviewing the document, first, obviously, we're going to review the checklist uh, and determine, you know, which of those are applicable to our sites. I think we often forget that there are a lot of different sites um, out there, whether it's academic, private practice, dedicated research. So, you know, let's take a, a first look at the, the checklist itself and figure out which ones are applicable to my site. For example, you know, are you charging an e-source fee? Not all sites are on board with e-source yet, so that may not be applicable to your site. So obviously the first step would be to simply review it. The second step I'd recommend is maybe compare it to your current process or checklist and make sure you're covering all of your costs. And then equally important, you know, which bucket, as I mentioned in the previous question, are you, are you gonna apply uh, those invoiceables too. And then um, what we want to do in step three is create your site-specific checklist inclusive of maybe the process you've been using in the past, double-checking it with our checklist, and then finally calculating the site-specific costs to apply to your budgets and your invoiceables. Um, I think there was a second part to this is, you know, how do you utilize the tool for budgets moving forward? And I came up with a couple of, of ways you could go about doing this. And I, I kind of broke this down into what I call transactional versus strategic. So typically, as, as many folks know that work on budgets, a sponsor or CRO will send you their budget template. And then it's up to the sites to go through it. and you know, put in their own cost and or 
put in any invoiceable items that may have been missed in the budget. So I kind of look at that as a transactional way of utilizing the toolkit. So again, the sponsor sends us the budget and then we're going to use the toolkit to double check and make sure we're covering everything in their template. You could also take it a different direction with some of your repeat clients. And I kind of look at this as a more proactive, strategic way of leveraging the toolkit. Um, We could go about creating um, a list of your invoiceables and go ahead and proactively send that to your key clients. And that way they know what to expect when negotiating a budget with you. And the intent there would be to save a lot of time and effort on both sides and ultimately, you know, decrease the study startup timelines. Great. Thanks, Chris. David, did you have anything to add to uh, Chris's response there? Yeah, I, you know, first I want to echo what Chris was saying of, you know, this is not a document for a site to just blindly copy paste uh, in, into a budget because, again, not all invoiceable light items apply to your site. And even if they apply, they may not even apply to a given study. So, you know, it, it, we the ask is that, you know, you, you look at it, match it to this particular study and be professional and diligent in your asks. The other thing that I would suggest is is make sure we we try to harmonize the terms or or the titles of these invoiceables. Uh, We'll we'll certainly learn this over time if if these are kind of the right titles, but but the more the titles seem similar, the more that that will resonate and then these become the norm more as opposed to the exception in getting put inside budgets. Thank you, David. And thank you, Chris. A very thorough explanation of some really valuable ways to, to utilize this document specifically. Uh, I, I like the point that you had just brought up, David, around how important it is for sites to not just use this document uh, carte blanche, right? It's it's important that we, we analyze, we understand where our gaps exist as a site, where we need to fill in those gaps, and what types of information from this document can fill those gaps in. I think that's a very important point. And and Chris, back to some of the points that you had made there, uh, again, about how we maximize our use for this and and truly find value as a site. Um, So I appreciate you giving some of the examples that you did around um, what we can do to uh, how we can really utilize this document for for the most in the most effective uh, ways possible. So thank you. Chris, I'd like to start with you then to begin to wrap us up here and and conclude our discussion today. How will these types of conversations and and tools benefit industry partners and clinical research as a whole? Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. Well, obviously the document was designed by and for sites to to utilize when negotiating their budgets, but I I really feel strongly that both sponsors and CROs will also benefit from this um, as we move forward. Um, and, and David alluded to this in some previous questions, but you know we're attempting to normalize the way in which sites request for reimbursement of such costs and invoiceables. And hopefully this leads to faster budget negotiations. I think there's no secret that the biggest hurdle and and time constraint in study startup is contracts and budgets. So anything we can do to minimize the amount of time spent, you know, negotiating these budgets uh, will help all parties um, in clinical research get to enrollment very quickly. Um, 
to be clear, the intent is not to standardize the price of certain tasks or procedures, but to normalize the way in which the sites are asking the sponsors to approve. So I think, you know, one of the examples I would use here is patient recruitment versus pre-screening activities. Um, I think that a lot of the sponsors I'm seeing out there are approving a separate pre-screening um, activity line item. And the intent there is to ultimately minimize the amount of screen failures. So typically a sponsor will give you an advertising budget and that obviously gets patients to, to, to respond to your ads and call the sites or respond to an online advertisement. But what I'm speaking to here is, is pre-screening activities by allowing sites to spend more time with the patient on the phone. We are pre-screening them and bringing in only those appropriate patients that should be screened and signed consent. And, and in the end, sponsors and CROs will also benefit from the cost savings of those. One other example I'll, I'll like to use is um, in an invoiceable providing sites the ability to offer um, pass-through transportation costs to patients as a line item. Um, this is in addition to their patient comp. I think this would really benefit the industry as a whole to bring access to clinical trials to as many potential patients as possible. That's great, Chris. And I think a really uh, fantastic place, a, a fantastic sentiment to really end our conversation on uh, today. I, it's it's so important that everyone that SCRS interacts with understands that again, to the point that you made, this isn't really about pricing necessarily. It's more about the actual items themselves, making sure that the sites get their costs, their very real and actual costs associated with participating in clinical trials covered uh, so that they can continue to stay in business. Because when our sites stay in business, our clinical trials can keep moving and our patients, most importantly, can keep receiving the treatment that they need to receive. David, did you have any closing thoughts or, or any reactions to what Chris might have said? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, again, echo a lot of what Chris was saying. Uh, you know, it's ironic. We we hear and talk to many sponsors and CROs that say that they're more than willing to give more funds to the site uh, if the site needs them. But either the sites don't ask for them or, or don't know how to ask. Now, you know, with that offer in mind, uh, sites also experience when they do ask for this a lot of canned resistance, such as, well, why do you need that reimbursed? Or, you know, that, that's not a study cost. That's the cost of doing business. That, that's not for a study. So, you know, when they get that resistance, we have to go two or three levels of appeal to even get it considered. And, and sometimes the answer is, is, is still no. And the site has to make very difficult business decisions if they're going to do that study under those constraints or not. I mean, hopefully by democratizing the information about the true cost of doing a study, that together with all our industry colleagues, we can eliminate some of these unnecessary barriers and, and have real conversations about the study costs and, and how they will be covered. And that builds the bridge to faster budget negotiations so that the studies can be adequately funded, started up quicker and whatnot. So, I mean, when all this happens, everyone wins, especially the patients. So that that is the hope that... Uh, uh, that we can normalize this, get some resonation with this so that we can have better budgets, faster budgets, and we're able to start studies faster, keep subjects in it, and get the information that we need to advance medicine. 
another great message to end our conversation on here today. Uh, so thank you, David. I want to thank both of you for being with us today. Uh, thank both of you, of course, for your contributions to the development of the document. We uh, know that it wasn't a it wasn't just these two people on the phone with us. It was an entire community of clinical research sites um, and appreciate the contributions and the leadership that David and Chris both provided into really collating and bringing all of that information together into something that could be digestible and usable uh, across uh, the site community. So, David, thank you for being here with us today. Chris, again. Again, thank you as well for being with us and sharing your insights. Thank you, Jimmy. Thanks, everybody.